It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, awesome baby with a capital A. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us here on this Monday. Hope your weekend was well as we get ready for Game 5 tonight. The huge Game 5, or as we all say, the pivotal Game 5. And that is definitely the case tonight. Series tied two games apiece. It is the Warriors and the Celtics tonight. Tip it off a little bit after 6 o'clock. We have got all of our NBA Finals coverage coming your way live from San Francisco today, just like we do. Win games are at the Chase Center. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, will join us from there. Jim Barnett, the television analyst for the Golden State Warriors broadcast and the longtime Warrior player who was drafted by the Celtics as well. Jim Barnett will join us from the Chase Center as well, too, next hour. So hang tight for that. Plenty of NBA Finals coverage like you only get right here. On the T.C. Martin Show, yes, Numchuck is here, of course. Looking uh, looking rather dapper today, my friend. You must have a job interview or something. That's that's interesting. That's good. All right. Um, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals, obviously. We'll talk about other things as well. Obviously, that is the, the big news of the day in this series. Uh, really getting interesting and getting tight. But before we go into that, I want to start the show off talking about some sad news that many... People have probably heard by now and heard over the course of the weekend. I got the news on Saturday morning, the very sad news received of Steve Sachs losing his son John in a plane crash that happened on Wednesday morning. Uh, John was a Marine that was stationed in Southern California. He was on a training mission in Arizona. He and another pilot were killed when their plane crashed. There were also four other people that were killed in this. It was John and another pilot. Three others who were crew members were killed in all. A total of five Marines killed in this training exercise that took place on Wednesday morning. Captain John Sachs and his fellow pilot, three crew members, all perished. John was 33 years old. The other pilot was 31. The other crew members were 21, 21, and 19. Devastating news. Uh, To hear that on Saturday morning, it just took me for a spin. Because obviously, as many people know who listen to the show, Steve Sachs, a long time friend of mine, business colleague, um, one of our recipients into the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. You know what a tight-knit community we have with that. And uh, this hit home to everybody that knows Steve, knew his son, knew his family, uh, knows the family. And I've known that family a long, long time. And it, it, it still hurts, you know, today. Um, some people may have seen social media posts that I made over the weekend. Wednesday, Steve was on the show. The timing of this is just unbelievable. 
So if you were listening to the show on Wednesday, you heard Steve on the show. And the laughter, the fun, and that's what you always get with Steve. (laughs) We get the fun, but we get the Major League Baseball talk, the breakdown, the analysis. He's been a regular on my shows for a long, long time. He's been in the media a long, long time. Uh, He's really thriving now in kind of, I like to say, post-retirement. Really, you know, not working with MLB Network anymore. Uh, Worked with Fox in the past. And he wanted to concentrate and get his own podcast rolling, which has been very successful. Sacks in the Morning, which we talk about and we always promote here on the show. Wednesday morning, this accident happened with his son, John. When Steve came on the air with us at 3 o'clock on Wednesday, he did not know at that point in time. He actually got the news from the Marines after our show on Wednesday when he got done with the interview. So do... Talking to Steve on Wednesday, texting him after the show, continuing joking and thanking him for coming on, which I always do. Then to hear that news a couple days later was just mind-boggling for me, but the devastation that I can only imagine that hit him, his family, insane. Steve has talked about his son, John, on this show numerous times. And if you remember, when he talks about his son, it's always like this prideful dad talking, his love for his son, how proud he was of him for serving our country, serving in the Marines. Steve Sachs is one that believes in our country, stands for the national anthem, all of that. We've had all those type of conversations with him. But the joy in his voice, always talking about his son fighting for our country, protecting our country. And it's still hard to fathom what he's going through. Um, I did reach out to him. He responded back on Saturday morning. Uh, You know, that's always a delicate situation when you have a friend, when do you reach out? How do you reach out? Phone, text, all that sort of thing. And unfortunately, uh, for me personally, having family members and so many close friends over the last few years, it's there, there's there's a lot of death out there, you know. And especially as you get older. But never in my wildest dreams, and I I know I could speak for Steve. Never in his wildest dreams did you expect your 33-year-old son to die this way and to lose a child. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. And maybe there are listeners out there who unfortunately have gone through that. Man, my sympathies to each and every one of you that have had to. We've all had to deal with it with parents or siblings, which I have many, many close friends and their family members. But um, for him to lose his son in this way, he is handling this like a pro. 
He is handling this as he, as best as he possibly can be. But as I had said to him, I wanted to reach out. I want to respect your privacy. Um, and that's all we can do right now. His po- he actually posted something over the weekend saying that he's going to be doing best of as his podcast. I mean, I can't even believe that he's even thinking like that. But, <laughs> you know, he's going to take some time away. So obviously, uh, I'm not going to ask him to come on the show like I do. He usually comes on with this you know, usually once every two weeks, sometimes even more frequent, more recent. And we're going to let him and his family grieve. And thoughts and prayers go out to the Sachs family. And this very troubled, disturbing, disappointing time and devastating time. Devastating tragedy that happened with his son in in this plane crash. So we'll respect his privacy. Today what I wanted to do, I want to close the show today with that interview that we had with Steve, the last one we had last Wednesday. And to hear the joy in his voice and the fun. Uh, and also talking about some baseball as well, too. Because as you know, with Steve and a lot of our regular guests, you know, we cover everything, but you never know where which direction the conversation is going to take us. Which I think it's what, what people love about the interviews and the guests that we do on the show. So we're going to replay that interview today around 3.30. Uh, and we'll close the show with that today and hear from Steve Sachs as I feel for him, salute him, and more importantly, just just keeping him in my thoughts and prayers. And I know that so many people have reached out or posted thoughts and condolences on social media regarding Steve's posts or my posts. And uh, we all appreciate that. And again, when, when it's a friend, a close friend, someone you've known for majority of your life, um, and to I mean, when you know the family, it's, it, it, it's very sad. So we start today's show off thinking about the Sachs family, and, and I appreciate everyone for their comments and their thoughts regarding Steve Sachs and losing his son, John, in that tragic fashion that he did. All right. May their peace uh, be in the Sachs family and, and John rest in peace. And we will hear from Steve Sachs again uh, down the road uh, when he is ready and not any time before then. So respect the privacy. All right. NBA Finals tonight. Game number five, it is Boston. It is Golden State. Uh, we saw game four on Friday night. Uh, b- Preview that show at the Cosmopolitan when we were last uh, you know, convened here on the show. And we talked to several of our guests during that. And I'm thinking, man, we all nailed that thing. Olden Polonies called it here on Thursday's show. OP will be joining us this week. Uh, as well, as I mentioned, coming up here, Bill Cartwright at the bottom of this hour. Uh, Tracy Murray joins, joined us last week. Okay, we'll be hearing from him this week again. Olin Polonese will join us again this week. Thurl Bailey will be joining us tomorrow as we just tap into all of our NBA guys uh, during this course, uh, you know, during the finals here. 
Sam Gordon uh, came down and and did the show with me uh, last week, as, as well as Brian Salmon. And it's like everything that we talked about on Thursday and Friday's show, it happened on Friday night. I think it was B. Sal that says, Steph's going to have to get a 40-point game. Boom! Nailed that one. 43 for Steph Curry. But here's the part that no one's really talking about in that game. Steph, 43 points, 10 rebounds as well. Four assists to go on along with that. Phenomenal. Use any type of adjective that you would like for Steph Curry in Game 4 Friday. How do you stop him? Boston coaching staff is still trying to figure this out. And I'm I'm kind of laughing when I hear their coaching staff saying, well, let's see, we've got to figure out something else here. (laughs) How about all this talk about Boston being the best defensive team? Granted, I get that. But you're still giving up a lot of points. You're letting Steph Curry basically do whatever he wants to do. I really don't want to hear that Boston has an answer for Steph Curry. Steph Curry, arguably, is having maybe his best NBA final series ever. More so than 2016, 17, 18. All right? 19. Are you kidding me? Phenomenal on what he is doing. Boston doesn't have any answers for him. They're still trying to figure it out. And it's just not Steph Curry on Friday night. Their backs were against the wall. And they did it again. Early on, Boston had themselves a lead. Not much of a surprise there. Boston on their home floor. Warriors made it tight. And then guess what happened? Second second half happened. Third quarter happened again. Yes, the Warriors continue to put on a display and make their run in the third quarter. Even in games they lose, they're still outplaying Boston in every third quarter. On Friday night, they outscored the Celtics 30-24. to A lot of people say, well, only six points, but it was the way it happened and how it happened. And then they carried that over to the fourth quarter where it was 28-19. to Warriors outscored the Celtics. By 15 points in that second half, and Golden State wins 107 to 97. They get the job done on the road again. Steph Curry, phenomenal, like I said. It just wasn't about Steph. Clay Thompson gets some credit as well, too. Clay Thompson, four for 10 from beyond the three point arc, 18 points for Clay. And, you know, when Curry scores 43, you got to remember there's not many of the shots that are available. For other players. Yes, Steph has taken the majority of the shots. And the Warriors' offense pretty much is designed for that. Especially when the Warriors need a bucket or they need uh, a key possession. It's going to go in Steph Curry's hand. So, But look what else that the Warriors did on Friday night. Thompson had 18 points. He actually said that Curry's performance was the best ever in finals that they have partaked in together. Even when Clay was out watching from a distance, he said it was just amazing. The Warriors were in a must-win game. They had to have it. 
And like we talked about on Thursday and Friday, if the Warriors lose that game, they're basically done. You never count them out. We understand that. But being in a 3-1 hole is much different than being 2-2. And now the Warriors have home court advantage back with two of the final three games, if necessary, on their home floor in San Francisco, the Chase Center. But yeah, at 2-2, now advantage Warriors again? We'll see. We still haven't seen any team win two games in a row. But back to Friday night. Curry with 43, Thompson with 18, Andrew Wiggins, 17 points. And 16 rebounds. Andrew Wiggins has been a guy that still does not get the credit that he deserves. In Minnesota, yeah, he was was with a mess of a franchise, mess of a team. And for them to say goodbye to D'Angelo Russell and bring in Andrew Wiggins, a lot of people, including myself, thought, okay, really, what is this all about? I've never been a D'Angelo Russell fan. And when the Warriors got him, it's like, how is he going to fit in? He actually played pretty well with them last year. He grew up a little bit over the years. But Wiggins is a guy that you knew had talent. Top pick. High, high pick. Many, many years ago. And he's been with some bad teams. But Andrew Wiggins is the latest. that The Warriors target, and they go, we think this guy can fit in with us. Okay? As long as he's not going to try to do too much. But carry us when we need him to carry us, especially when we've got injuries or foul trouble. And for the most part, Andrew Wiggins has come through big time. 17.16 rebounds. Jordan Poole comes off the bench, delivers 14 points in Friday night's game. Outstanding. But you know what the Warriors really showed? Backs against the wall, volatile environment. They showed their toughness on Friday night. The Warriors' toughness showed out. And even Steve Kerr saying that each and every one of these games is getting more and more physical. And that's true. It is. And for people to think, well, the Warriors' backcourt, they're a little light. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole coming off the bench. You know, they're not big guards. We understand that. Steph Curry has been dispelling that myth for years. Steph Curry's only a three-point shooter. Nonsense. I mean, and I talked about it on Friday. The move that Jordan Poole had going down the baseline, reversing, reverse pivot off the glass. I mean, just amazing. Steph Curry getting whatever he wants inside, outside, mid-range, doesn't matter. Outstanding. Phenomenal performance, like we said. But the Warriors, this is who they are. All right? And tonight, Game 5, we're going to be breaking it all down for you with uh, Bill Cartwright and uh, Jim Barnett and talking about it. Draymond Green. All right. Draymond Green has taken a lot of bullets from everyone in the media. Draymond Green, Game 1, four points. Not a good game, even though he had 11 rebounds in that game. Game 2, nine points. A little bit better. But again, like we've talked about, Draymond Green isn't there to score, even though he was an incredible score. Incredible score at Michigan State, back in college. Draymond Green, I don't know if a lot of people remember, went out for 36 points against Gonzaga at the kennel in Gonzaga. 
way back when. I believe it was Draymond's senior year. Oh, by the way, Draymond Green, one of those guys that stayed four years as well, too. Draymond Green had the 27-point game against the Cleveland Cavaliers in 16. But his game is not the same as it was. He's shooting not a great percentage. He's cut down on his shots over the last couple seasons. And he realizes that he's got great surrounding talent. Draymond Green does not need to score. He knows that. And I think people now that are watching the Warriors and the NBA realize that as well, too. But in Game 3, you can make the argument, we've talked about it last week, probably the worst player on the floor. Game 3, was he was dreadful. Two points, f- four rebounds. Nah. So Game 4, when the Warriors need it the most, what Draymond, would Draymond Green do? Well, he only, got, he only scored two points. But what he did do on Friday night, nine rebounds, eight assists, and four steals. That's exactly what we talked about. Draymond Green, he is there for that. To give the Warriors, to be their leading rebounder, to come up with nine rebounds. He wasn't even the leading rebounders because you saw what Wiggins did with his 16 rebounds. Phenomenal. But Draymond Green, even though Wiggins was cleaning up the glass left and right, Draymond Green had nine rebounds, dished out eight assists. Phenomenal with the basketball. Four steals on top of that. And by the way, really didn't get into foul trouble on Friday night. But you look down on the bench in the final five or six minutes, and what did you see in that game? Draymond Green sitting on the bench. How did he handle that? A lot of people ask. He handled it fine. Steve Kerr pulled Draymond Green out of the game, said, you're having a great game. We're going to need a little bit more scoring in right now. You'll have your time to go back in there. And for the first time in a long time, in key crunch time stages, Draymond Green was on the bench and just sitting there, not arguing, not yelling, not screaming, because he knew that he had done his job that day. He bounced back from probably the worst game he's played in, in playoff his playoff career. And gave the Warriors everything that they needed. Yeah, Draymond Green was a big piece of that victory on Friday night when the Warriors won 107 to 97. Not for his points, but for his leadership, not getting technical fouls, being there for his team, dishing the ball off eight times, eight assists, and having nine big rebounds and four steals. Outstanding game for Draymond Green. In this series, people are going to point to he's only scored 17 points. He's connected on six for 26 from, from the floor. Yeah. 28 rebounds, 23 assists. He's committed 18,004 games. Not good. All right. But he's still around. And I don't see Draymond Green getting kicked out. Hopefully not if you're a Warriors fan in uh, any of these uh, final games. But on the other side of that, you go to Boston. All right. You go to Boston. And what did their big three do? They actually performed for two games in a row. Tatum had 23, Brown had 17. Smart had 18. Big three played pretty well, and it still wasn't good enough for Boston. It still wasn't good enough because defensively, they had no answers for Steph Curry and the other key Warriors scorers. So we've talked about Jason Tatum disappearing at times, 12 points, you know, one of the first games in this series. But if... If those guys are getting 23, 17, and 18, and you're still losing games, yeah, that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. 
So we talk about how the narrative changes from game to game. And now what's the narrative? Narrative is that, well, Warriors night tonight. Would it shock me or anyone else if the Warriors lose tonight's game? No, because no team has won back-to-back games in this series. Here we go again with the records. Boston, 7-0 after a loss in the playoffs. Boston, 3-7 after a win. The inconsistency. Golden State, 6-0 after a loss in the playoffs. Is this trend going to continue tonight? Can the Warriors be the first team to win two games in a row? Put them in a 3-2 position with Game 6 going to Boston on Thursday? We'll see. All right, we'll break all that down, diagnose it for you uh, on today's show. Jim Barnett, great television analyst, a former player. Uh, He'll be all pumped up and excited like he normally is. We'll hear from him next hour, but when we come back, the big seven-footer will join us, both in San Francisco for tonight's game. We look forward to that, and uh, we'll talk to Big Bill Cartwright, give us us his thoughts on what is going to transpire with the Warriors tonight and breaking it all down for you on this magnificent Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Cartwright! 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 He yelled Cartwright. I missed that. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright! There's only one Cartwright we know who he is. I just wonder how many people have gotten you confused with Costanza. When you go to a restaurant, do they say, Costanza? You go, no, I'm, I'm Cartwright. The one only the five-time NBA champ, the seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, the king of Chinese restaurants. What's going on, man? <laughs> nah, nobody uh, confuses me with Costanza, but I have been confused with all people. So think about this. <laughs> Uh, Robert Parrish, yeah. um, Bill Whittington, uh, Bill Walton. So yeah, people come up to you, hey, are you, are you Bill Walton? And I'm like, uh, no. no. None of this was in person you're talking about. Because they can't make that mistake by saying, seeing you in person. Yes. That, that it was in person. <laughs> They they could not think of my last name, so they just threw one out. (laughs) Hey, uh, you're that NBA player. Uh, Yeah, uh, Bill. I know it's Bill. Whittington, Whittington, yeah. That's St. John's guy. Yeah, with the beer. That's you, right? Yeah, exactly. So so here we go. What do you say? but, but, But I'm not sure what's worse because it's like another black guy, a white guy, or... Bill Russell, they'll say, hey, are you Bill Russell? And I'm like, you know, I know I'm not moving like I was, but Bill Russell's like 80 years old. So, no, I'm not I'm not Bill Russell. Bill, Bill. Yeah, Bill Walton. I, I, I saw you doing ESPN college basketball last week. How you doing, buddy? Exactly. Yeah. As long as, as, long as they have a piece of my name, they're, 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 they're kind of okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> Or if if we go to the uh, 
the Diamondbacks games, uh, like I've said to you before, or, or the uh, San Diego Padres games, where they have the Cartwright plumbing up there. Hey, there's Cartwright. Yeah. Cartwright. So they, they, we got we got part of that, right? Got the last last name right. Is that Everybody Bill Cartwright's that. plumbing company? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. I should I should say yes. You know, and and the thing is, is that you know, as you know, uh, I I still spend some time in Chicago and in the Illinois. Uh, there is a, a town, Elk Grove. Yes. That so, uh, and as you know, I went to Elk Grove High School here, and in next to Sacramento. So, I've had people tell me uh, a story about how they saw me play in high school <laughs> in Elk Grove, and there, and it'll be a detailed story of, of a game and, and 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 what happened. And so, what do you? Let me ask you a question. So, what do you say? If somebody's telling you a story that is just absolutely not true, yeah. do you let it go, or do you bust them and say, "Hey, look, dude, I didn't grow up in this state." So, what do you? What, what would you say? Yeah. Um, I, I've had similar stories like that, and usually I let it go, and then try to veer off into a, 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 you know make an immediate left or right hand turn, I guess. But it really is depending on the person. In the conversation, like, say, for example, if with someone, I will just say, with special needs. Okay, and you and I have both had conversations with people, and they mean well, but you know they don't have their facts right, so you're nice about it, right? If it's just some Yahoo, then he's kind of irritating, then, you know, we might fire back a little bit. For the most part, though, I think you got to kind of, you know, just take a, a... an, an alternative turn. Now, knowing you, uh, I could see you going in the maybe rude way or just kind of nod your head and just say, wrong guy, pal. <laughs> How do you handle it? How have you handled that? No. See, this is a great opportunity to see how far you can take that story. True. And then maybe, you know, so, okay, well, what happened? Do you remember what happened in the fourth quarter? Right. And then just, right. just, just try to build the story. Right. That's not there. Right. And see and see how much depth you can get on that. So that would be my thing, just to see how far you, you, you can take this story and just, and just kind of go from there. But here's the deal. You're talking about, okay, and, you know, you and I have talked about this before. You, there's Elk Grove, California. Elk Grove, yeah. Illinois. All right. So yeah. these are people in Illinois, and they're trying to say, what are they saying? They said, oh, that game against Naperville. That's right, where yeah. you had 30 points, right? And is, is that where yeah. they're going no, with no. that? They're getting no, specific no, no, no. No. specific no, see, fiction like that? See, that's the bad thing. It's, it's never a story about how my team won. It's always about how their team beat us. Which <laughs> <laughs> is even worse. <laughs> well, I remember that happening. I can't remember who it was. In, in Sacramento, there was somebody that we were there and, and had that conversation. They said, oh, yeah, I beat you guys. You know, we, we beat you. We beat you, whatever. But they actually had – they went to that actual school, and you're saying, nah, it, it didn't happen. We didn't play you guys or something like that. But, yeah, that's – but I'm just trying to figure out how the whole Illinois – thing is like they saw you play at Elk Grove, Illinois, if they're actually, you know, that's, that's a really weird twist. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just people. People will see something and, and no, they're not special needs people. 
they're just they're just goofballs and they just make up stuff. So I'm not I'm, I'm not sure how that works or, or where it comes from. But uh, but yeah, that that has happened. People people get lost, or or maybe they tell a story and then they just believe it. And <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. I, I had well, you and I were together. I don't know if you remember this. You probably do. It was it was one of the first times I think you came to to Vegas, and back when I was doing my show at the Palms, and you were on with me. Might have been the first time that that you know when I moved back to Vegas, you were on with me there, and we were walking uh, out outside out of the Palms, going to get something to eat, and this guy stopped you, and he says, "I know you." I know you, man. It's a, uh, it, it's, it, it's great. It, it, it's great to meet you, Akeem. <laughs> and he thought you were Akeem Olajuwon. That's it. So not even the bill factor there. He thought you were Akeem Olajuwon. And another guy, I think the same trip, thought you were Patrick Ewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's all ball guy. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're somehow related. But the yeah the Bill Whittington the Bill Walton I can't see it or any Bill for that matter. Bill the science guy. Bill the science guy. Bill Bill Bill. Well, well, that's what you gotta know. There's Bill the science guy. When you're when you're taller, you're gonna get some stories. For one thing, people are gonna look at you. For one thing, people are going to. walk up to you, and they want to know how tall you are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're dying to know. Why, I don't know they're dying to know. Right. And so, okay, so you can tell them, hey, look, seven foot tall. They'll go, no, you got to be taller. you got to be seven, too. I'm like, I don't know. How tall do you think I am? I think you're seven, too. So they're going to tell you how tall you are, regardless. And then... This is what you get after that. You're going to get somebody that they know, relative, friend, who's tall. <laughs> and who has problems. Like, you know what? If he's got problems getting shoes. Do you know where to get shoes or pants? That's so right. You're, you're definitely going to get a story. Yeah. And that's, that's just what you get. And for a guy like me, this is also what you'll get. I'll say, Bill. I don't know you, but I'm sure my son knows you. So can you sign something for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, is it, is it that better getting that instead of, Bill, I don't know you, but my dad knows you. He watched you play. Yeah, well, at least that would be something. Yeah. That, 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 that would be better. <laughs> at least we have some kind of connection. Uh, so it's time for you to start going out. Stop going out in public, I guess. Right? Go stop. That's it. No, time no, to be a hermit. That's that's nice and great humor for me, as you know. <laughs> you know me. You know you know that I I, I kind of like that. Yeah. And people want to ask me questions, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm with that because I I, I definitely want to know some things too. Yeah. Like what do you what do you really know? <laughs> You're going to mess with me? I'm going to mess with you right back. Uh, great stuff. There you go. Inside the big seven-footer. There it is. All right. Bill, yeah. whatever his name is. Bill by the science guy. Bill by the science guy. Bill, Bill, Bill. They could confuse you with a Bill the science guy. There you go. 
Yeah, yeah. As long as you got a piece of it, you're good to go. <laughs> All right, my friend. Tonight, Chase Center. Here we go. Warriors, Celtics, Game Five. Uh, give me your thoughts as you watch Game Four unfold uh, at the TD Garden. Uh, well, this series, and and you know this better than I, is that there's, there's no rhyme or reason for this series at all. Only thing we know is that it's dead even, and but we don't know why it's even. We don't know why one team shoots well and, and one doesn't. We don't know why one game they guard and one game they don't. Even though uh, the game, but the last game was relatively low scoring. Um, we know that uh, Steph Curry scored a bunch of points, um, and I thought Wiggins played really well. I think he had like 18 rebounds and like 17 or 18 points. But other than that, those other guys played, eh, well, we'll play ball. Um, so this series is really hard to call. This is this has got to be, and I, and I don't care what Vegas has to say, this has got to be the hardest called series uh, I've ever seen because there's no rhyme or reason. There's no one game guys that make shots, next game they won't. Next game you can't find them. Um, points in the paint. One game, Boston kills them. Next game, the Warriors are points in the paint. Um, this is really, really bizarre. Just a bizarre series. Now, who should win? And normally, I would say Golden State. Boston should win because it's their turn. Right, right. It's right. their turn. And the end is like, you know, there's some conspiracy out there about the referees deciding the game with the calls. Uh, I don't think referees can make shots, but uh, that's that's out there. So, um, you know, I'm 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 just gonna go for Boston and say, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of their turn to make shots. It's kind of their turn to have urgency. Um, it's 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 kind of their turn. So, um. I, I can't make heads or tails out of this. I, I, I do know this, is that, or we we know this. If Golden State gets into their game where they're actually moving the ball, passing the ball, getting easy baskets, they're going to be really hard to beat. And I know this, is that if Boston penetrates as much as they did in game three and attack them and basically run them over, they're going to beat them. So it's really whoever's going to get into their game, whoever's going to find their groove, uh, whoever's making shots. Uh, even though I, the Warriors shot up like over 43 in the last game, which uh, could make me switch the game over to the Giants game. But um, it's just whoever's going to find themselves in the course of the game and uh, who's shooting the ball well. So we'll see what happens. But it is Boston's turn. It is. And it's funny because normally a lot of these series, um, I don't want to say they're easy to predict, but it's like, okay, the team that loses will always have that phrase. I like to use the bounce back you know, theory, uh, the bounce back phrase. Other people like to use, you know, the zigzag theory, and, and especially from a betting standpoint. And it's gone that way. It's gone where, you know, again, well, Boston, you know, wins game one and the way they won it in that 
dramatic comeback fashion. And okay, well, Warriors going to win game two, and they did rather easily. And then you go, okay, what's going to happen when they go to Boston now? Because we know that Warriors have been. You know, decent on the road, but they got blown out in some games. And then, you know, Boston wasn't a great uh, home team coming into this uh, finals. And then, okay, Boston wins. Okay, now what's going to happen? Wow, Boston's got all the momentum. It's game four, but it's the Warriors' turn, right? But there wasn't a lot of confidence uh, with a lot of the Warriors. But, man, Bill, they just they showed up big. They showed up big. And, again, their backs were against the wall, and they played like it. Draymond Green did not blow up. Steph Curry went off for 43. And more importantly, like I mentioned earlier, 10 points and four assists. And you had Wiggins, 17 points, 16 rebounds. So you got the contributors uh, off the bench, like Jordan Poole as well, too, with 14 points. And you know what I saw was the Warriors' toughness. They actually displayed toughness in that game uh, in Boston, in game number four. And each... One of these games is getting more and more physical. And I'm with you. Okay, it's Boston's turn. But still, when we've talked about this before, Boston still has that inconsistency in my brain. And I don't. I, I think it's the Warriors' night tonight. I think if there's ever a game where the Warriors are going to show up and show up big, they're going to ride this momentum. And game five, you know how we normally see Clay in game sixes when he shoots lights out? I mean, he start. You know, he hit four for ten from beyond the arc in the last game. I think tonight could be a big Clay Thompson night as well, too. But the narrative continues to change, game in, game out. But I'm going to go with the Warriors tonight, my my friend, for those reasons. Well, look, that's not a shocker. You go for the Warriors every game. Not okay, necessarily. No. Yes, you do. You yeah. go for the Warriors, and at least see so. I liked him in game four, but in game three, oh I wasn't. God. In game three, oh, I wasn't. Jeez, every single game you picked the Warriors. Every single game. And look, and I can't blame him because... It's worked out pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) No, well, it's 2-2. But I'm just saying that... I'm just saying that... um, I think the Warriors are a better team. I think that they... Well, they've been there before. And I think their game is overall... Is is, is better. But they... But but you know, they, they could go whole quarters and not score. For no reason, it's just it's just bizarre. So uh, should the should the Warriors win? Yeah, the Warriors should win if they play up to their potential. Best game versus best game. I think the Warriors are a better team. Right. Let me ask you but, this. Go ahead. But that hasn't happened. And don't you think it's interesting that at a crucial part of the game, um, uh, Draymond was on the bench. Draymond, he was his ass was on the bench. So at, at one point in time, Steve Kerr decided, "Hey, look, <laughs> we're not, you know, this guy, this guy hadn't got it going yet. Not in Boston." So I, I thought that was, I thought that played a big role to getting the, getting the team going and getting them back in the rhythm because uh, he just he has let's just acknowledge this he has not played well. Period. But see, I liked his game four. I mean, he had he had nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals. You can make the argument that was probably his best game because he didn't really get into to, to silly foul trouble. He w- he was not a menace, but he did what he's supposed to do. Now, throw out the two points, but again, like we talked about before, that's not really not what he's there for. He's there to get rebounds and to facilitate and not turn the ball over. Nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals for Draymond Green. I thought he had an outstanding game. No, it's not an outstanding game. For that's him. Down. For him yeah, in this finals. Game. 
And and I'm just saying that at a crucial juncture of the game, he was not in the game. True, right. And didn't complain either. And I and, it, and well, I'm not even gonna comment about that. I'm just saying that <laughs> I I thought that normally he would be playing. But he recognized the fact, look, this guy this guy's not gonna play well here. He's not gonna play well here. So um maybe, you know, he's gonna be back home, nice and relax. He'll calm down a little bit and just start playing like the player that, that he can be. Just move the ball, get easy baskets. Uh, he feeds off of others well. He passes the ball really well. Uh, so hopefully he'll get back to that. But I just thought that was interesting part of the game that he was not in. That's all it's there. Right. So we hear Boston talk about defending Curry. Well, let's see. We gotta, you know, we gotta double him when he gets to the paint. We've got to put pressure on him, like maybe while he's bringing the ball up court. Steph Curry's seen every type of defense from boxing ones to, you know, whatever triangle and twos to double teams to, you know, uh, you know, you know, forcing him out, you know, without the ball, being physical, dragging him to the ground, getting picked up ninety four feet. He he has seen it all here. Okay, and you know, bad foot, whatever. It's just funny how Boston still does not have an answer, and for him to go off on forty-three and just have this complete game, also of ten rebounds and four assists as well, too. If you are coaching against Steph Curry, what is the best way to defend him? You got to play him how you've been playing him, and make an adjustment if he's got it going. They've already beat him twice. So, so you know, step step had a great game, um, and and he had it going. Um, but that's it. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't make a lot of changes. You've already beaten them twice. Let's use that formula, and a big part of the formula is is attacking them first and not be contending to shoot all those jump shots they shot because they they could not get to the basket. Right. And then now, you know, it's it, it's really hard to score if you're taking the ball to bounce, whether it's a whether it's a big shot layup or free throw line. So they've got to be really efficient offensively. Attack, pummel them. Uh, that's how they won the last two games. Points to the paint, rebound the ball. Wiggins can't get however many offensive rebounds he got in that game. Uh, he played such a huge factor. He played terrific. So, um, but yeah, yeah, guys like Steph, uh, uh, they can have a big game like that. So, but I would not, um, I would not change much. But don't you agree, Bill? Like, what you talked about, what Boston needs to do is from an offensive standpoint. But from a defensive standpoint, if Steph goes for 40 again, they're not going to win this game. And so you've got to do something to make him uncomfortable because when the Warriors have lost games or got blown out, is Steph shooting a low percentage or forcing Curry into to turnovers? And again, you, you you can't just play him the way you played him, like because he's carving you up. And I know what you're saying they've won two games, but now they've got this momentum. Now you're back on your home floor, and this is it. There's like no tomorrow. I mean, technically there is, but you don't want to be down 3-2 in this series. You can't have him go for 40 again. So I'm just saying Steph, that you got yeah, to go ahead and, and slow. Steph could go for 40. Boston scored, or I'm sorry, go skate and scored 107 points. It's not like they scored 120 points. Boston got to score. 
They 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 didn't score hundred points in that game. I know, but when was the last time that Curry yeah. went off for forty plus and the Warriors lost? That usually doesn't happen. We've seen that happen with other superstars and other teams, but with, when Curry goes off for forty, they win. I'm saying that they are fine in what they're doing. They're going to have to if Steph has a go. Maybe they'll adjust. Maybe they'll have to double teams. The problem is they couldn't score. Mm-hmm. Now. Now, I don't care if Steph had 10. If they can't score, they're not going to win. They can't score. And that's how this That's how this, this has been going, back and forth. Both teams can't score. For what reason, I have no idea. Because, look, it's not that tricky. If, you doesn't, if it doesn't, you don't have it going from the outside. You're attacking inside. Now, we know we don't attack for the post or the elbow anymore. But you certainly you got to continue to try to penetrate to get some easy shots at the basket. Boston couldn't even get to the basket. Boston couldn't score. Boston's got to score. In my mind, they got to score first and worry about step second. Yeah. So I can see that's, that. Yeah. That's 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 my game plan. And and, and look, like I said, they that game in Boston, they ran them over, ran them over. That's got to be their mindset, is that they've got to be the aggressors. Both teams have got to be the aggressors. So that's why this, this damn thing's so hard to call, because there's, there's been so much inconsistency. You have no idea who's going to score tonight. Uh, it's true. Nobody knows. It's true. Nobody knows. Yeah. This is, this is the most bizarre championship game I've ever seen. It's, you, you cannot call it. And thank God I'm not a gambler, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in a lot of it all correlated back to the three-point shot. If Boston's going to be reliant on on bombs away again, and if they're not hitting those things, then they're going to find themselves on the wrong side. If they continue to settle for those threes and they're not hitting them, the, the, it's going to go backwards for them very, very fast. Yeah, or or Boston killed them and points to the bait. And they could. And we've seen that. That's where their advantage is. So, You're right. Yeah. So so that's what I'm saying. Is like whoever's gonna get the advantage, whoever's gonna get the edge, whoever's gonna get be the aggressor, um I I have no idea. I I, I don't even pretend to try to call this game right. But Both these men with seventy five points at the end of the game. I don't know. <laughs> so I just see what happens. Well, it sounds like uh, that if you were here, you might uh, force a little wager on Boston plus four tonight. No, no, I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> you, you, said, know you said it's Boston's turn, but that, like you said, yeah. N- yeah, neither neither yeah. way would be surprising, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's bad vibes for me, and I don't go that way. <laughs> bad vibes, right? <laughs> bad vibes, dude. <laughs> oh, one thing we know, though, if you were here, my friend, and you will be here very soon, you'll have your own cheering section. Hey, I'll tell you. What? Hey, where did you get your pants at? Where did you get your shoes? Wow. What size shoe do you wear? Hey, you know, my, my son wears a 13. I'm a little bit bigger than that, pal. Hey, do you know that uh, I, um, you know, who makes pants and makes great clothes now is uh, Kevin Willis. Is that right? Oh, okay, Ke- good. There you go. Kevin Willis is, is, is a designer. Um, I, he's made me some jeans. Uh, really, really nice stuff. Now, it's not cheap. 
but uh, but it's 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 great stuff. So every now and then, when I need uh, need some jeans, uh, need some clothes, he's expanding his wardrobe. He's got some shirts. He's got some other uh, uh, casual pants that I've that I've ordered. Uh, I like him. I like his stuff. He, he does well. That's it. See, those big men they stick together, man. That's awesome. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder who. Uh, you know, next time you talk to. To Kevin Willis, and you know, feel free to have him come on the show. We'd like that as well too. Uh, make sure you ask him, or I would ask him. Hey, do people come up to you and say, "Hey, you're Kevin McHale"? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I, I, I tell you what, Kevin's a great guy, and uh, I, I'm happy I had an opportunity, opportunity to have him on my podcast and, and talk to him because the guy was such a great worker, such a great teammate. Um, Really smart business guy, uh, you know. I'm just, I'm just, just pleased that I didn't get to know him sooner. Mm. So, but, uh, but yeah, great guy. You should definitely have him on the show. I'd love to have him on. Yeah, yeah, we'll have some old Dominique's uh, Wilkins stories and all kinds of stuff. And more importantly, see, I'm fascinated about that. You know, life after basketball, the the clothing line. I like it. All right, man. We will uh, enjoy the game tonight here, my friend. I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch base <laughs> during the course of it, and and like I said, hopefully you hang with the entire game and you, and you don't switch off, you know, to to the Giants game or the Astros game or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, it's gonna be maybe one of the two. Things aren't working right. <laughs> All right, brother. Be good, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Enjoy the game. Adios. There he is. It's cheering section. The big seven footer. Big Bill Cartwright. Jim Barnett joins us from the Chase Center when we come back on this magnificent Monday. Get ready, baby, for game five. Takes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. Game seven is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. you got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. All right, hour number two here on this Monday as we get ready for the NBA Finals game number five tonight. Looking forward to that. They'll tip it off a little bit after 6 o'clock. Where, of course, the Chase Center in San Francisco. Warriors and the Celtics. This series tied two games apiece. And joining us, of course, the longtime Golden State Warrior and also drafted, as we've talked about before, by the Boston Celtics back in the day, but does a great job with the... Warriors on the television side, of course, during the course of the regular season. Jim Barnett, what is going on, partner? Well, looking forward to Game 5, and uh, obviously the Warriors came through in Game 4 big, coming down the stretch, and uh, you know, for the first time, they won a fourth quarter in this series. Uh, and tonight, they got home court advantage, and uh, I, I don't expect any slippage at all. Um, Curry's been magnificent. Wiggins. And in the last game, just dominated on the boards. And the Warriors, who had been beaten badly on the boards in Game Three and lost that game, of course, they dominated uh, on the on the boards in, in Game Four. It meant a lot. But they their defense got really good in the paint. 
finally. Uh, game three, uh, they were very, very uh, fortunate, <laughs> you know, that they didn't get pounded by more um, because they just very tenuous defense in the paint and allowing too many points in the paint. 52 by the Celtics in that game three, but they, they stopped them in game four and actually outscored them in the paint, I think, 38 to 32. And they came in, they brought another man in. Maybe they risked a little giving up a three or something, but they didn't just rely on one single defender once somebody broke down under the free throw line into the paint and they didn't get the layups that they did the night before. Jim, why do you think that neither team has been able to, to put back-to-back wins together, not even just the wins, but just the, the great performances? Because there's always something, you just, you just nailed a couple of them right there, about what the Celtics didn't do or what the Warriors didn't do you know, in their losses. Why is there such a discrepancy from game to game here? Well, they're both very, it's very equal teams. And they, they're both good defensively. We know that. They're the two best defensive teams in the league this year uh, by all the analytics. And they've got people who can score. Obviously, uh, when you look at the Warriors, you've got Stephen Curry. Clay Thompson's been off and on, but he was good in game four. He was good in the fourth quarter of game four. Uh, Tatum, obviously, is uh, a big scorer, the best for them. But uh, Tatum, when he scores big, he's still a volume shooter. And, and he's shooting under 40% in this series. But he's going to get his shots. Um, the, the teams are, I think, when the Celtics have won, I believe Robert Williams III has had an impact, blocking shots, changing shots inside. Um, Curry's been consistent, the most consistent. Right now, he's the MVP of the series. Even though it's a two-and-two, two, uh, There's no, no one has played with that kind of offense that he has, the three-point uh, effect that he's had on this team and also just the consistency that he's had scoring every game. And so it's, uh, it's, this is the way it should be. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, uh, TC, that if this would not get, go to Game 7. I mean, that every, every, each of these teams, they're vulnerable in certain situations. And, uh, you know, the, the fourth quarter in the first three games was absolutely overwhelmingly favored by the Celtics. And the, the Warriors outscored in the third quarter the Celtics by – it was some humongous number. I don't know, something like, you know, 100 and something to 68 or whatever it was. But then the Celtics owned the fourth quarter, but not in game four. And that's that's why I'm very uh, encouraged by what the Warriors and and positive that they're going to win the series, I believe, because I think it's going to carry over, you know, for the last, you you know, it was, they were behind with five, four minutes to go, four, five minutes to go, three and a half minutes to go. And all of a sudden, Horford hit a three, and tied it up uh, at 97 all, and that was it. In the last minute, and a half, last minute and a half, the Warriors went on a 10-0 run. Right, right, and, and, and I believe the number was something like the, the Warriors outscored them 17 to three down that stretch. Jim, it was yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And we know the Warriors, the third quarter magic, and they did it again. Only outscored them 30 to 24, but that's kind of really where it turned. And then they outscored them 28 to 19, like you mentioned in the fourth period. I, I want to get your take on this. You know, you're you're traveling with the team. You're back there in Boston, and we saw the back against the wall mentality. We saw the ultimate focus. The Warriors were not careless with the basketball, and you just saw how important game number four was to the Warriors. And then at the end, you can just kind of see them walk off the floor like with this this confidence it looked like to me. Talk about where the Warriors are at mentally right now 
and then going into game five. And we always talk about, hey, the team that wins game five usually wins, what, you know, what, 83% of yeah. the time of the series. Yeah. But talk about where you think, Jim, and what you see with your eyes and the demeanor with this team going into tonight's game. I think they're very confident. They know what they have to do. They're very pragmatic about it. You have a job to do. You go out and do your job. Every player on this team knows what their job is. I think Wiggins is going to be in great position after the game that he had in game four. His scoring was definitely sufficient with his 17 points, but the 12, 16 rebounds that he got, especially in the fourth quarter, big plays coming down the stretch. And I was glad that I said this at the time, because somehow this team plays better with Kevon Looney on the floor in certain situations, and when they need that kind of rebounding, and Kevon Looney was big. Uh, he wasn't playing. He didn't start in the game, you know, but uh, he started in the past. But he came in in the fourth quarter, and he was big. He got 11 rebounds. He was a plus. Kevon Looney was a plus 21 off the bench in game four. Uh, that was the highest cumulative plus minus. Uh, and, by the way, over the series, He's plus 36, higher than anybody else on the team. Um, he's, you know, they forget about him. He's not going to score a lot, but they forget about him totally offensive. And all of a sudden he gets a rebound or someone gives him a pass, and he's ducking the ball. He doesn't take anything further than two feet away. <laughs> so, but he's been very effective in that, in that regard. And defensively, he, he just, he's a, a space eater inside. He's strong. He's, he's not exceptionally tall. He's not quick. But he is a great position rebounder, and he's been a factor. So when, when they win that rebounding total, then you're limiting Boston to one shot. Okay, you're not giving them second-chance efforts, and that's important. And uh, I think for, for the Warriors, too, if they cut down the turnovers, and they've always been very generous in that area, but coming down the stretch, they were the ones that created the turnovers, the steals. Um, in, in games three and four, obviously Draymond Green, wasn't a huge factor, especially offensively, uh, and he didn't play well at all. But, you know, in, in game four, he's still going to get his points and he's going to get his rebounds uh, because that's what he does, and he's going to get his assists. But he also came up with four steals, right. and I guarantee you two of them were in the last four minutes of the game when the Warriors took – when the Celtics were trying to come back and the Warriors wouldn't let him do it. And they, they ramped it up defensively. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that. Draymond, you say what you want. He's been kind of a target here. But the nine rebounds, eight assists in the four steals that he provided, Jim, I thought were, were fantastic. And you can make the argument that was his best game of the series, and that was huge for the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he, he did it in the right moments. Right. Uh, what's interesting, too, is I think, I think uh, it, and I didn't expect this, and I didn't know which team would prevail, but the three-pointers haven't been a factor because they've evened each, each team out. I think each team now, I think I added that up earlier this morning, <coughs> has made 63 threes in, in, the, in the series. And no, no team, never more than two in any singular game. A lot of times they both hit 15 or they hit 14 each. And so the, the three-point advantage to either team is not there in this series. Jim Barnett uh, joins us as we get ready for tonight's game between the Warriors and the Celtics. Game number five, Jim, be at the Chase Center here tonight. Uh, real quick, Jim, keys to tonight's game. What are you looking for? Well, get off to a better start. For some reason, they relax at home, and it's been in every series. The, the opposing team comes out and gets a you know an eight or a ten point lead sometimes sometimes double figure lead right. in in the first quarter and and they got to get off to a better start and just you know don't give 
don't give the Celtics any kind of hope if they can do that. Um, and and so I, I, that's that's just it. Play your game. Move the ball. Uh, okay, for Clay Thompson, don't force the shot. Wait for it. So when he goes up and he's a, and he has a wide open shot, or even one that he knows he can get off without being contested, he goes straight up. He's picture perfect. It's it's absolutely clinic three point shooting. But when he's hunting shots, which he's done in this series, uh, and especially what I'm trying to think, it was it game two where he was four of 19 from the field? Uh, yes, in game two, the Warriors won it. But he was four of 19 from the field, one of eight from three-point range, because uh, he's forcing the issue. He's got to let the game come to himself like that. He put and he puts he gets hard on himself and everything. But I thought he was very good, finally, in game four, uh, all the way through. He didn't shoot it from three exceptionally well, I think four of ten. But he eight points in the fourth quarter along with Curry's ten, and you do that. Just play under control. Uh, just keep them from getting easy baskets. If you can push the ball, they, they have difficulty defending you because you get open in early offense situations. If, they have to, if they're relegated to playing half-court offense against this team, against uh, the Boston Celtics, it makes it really tough. They've got to really shoot well. They have to work harder. They have to be more perfect with the ball and not turn it over. So if they can get out into the open court, spread them out a little bit, then you get open shots. Curry then can either launch his three or go all the way to the basket. Uh, Draymond becomes a factor that way because he pushes the ball. So um, push the ball, early offense, limit your mistakes, and defend the basket, defend the lane. Uh, work, keep them out of the lane, make them beat you from beyond, beyond the arc if they're going to do that. Check the box on all of those. No question about it. Jim Barnett joins us. All right, Jim, no team has won two games in a row. Is tonight the night where that streak is broken? Are you feeling Warriors tonight? What do you think? Give us a, a final prediction yeah, here. It, it, yeah, I, I feel Warriors tonight. And then, you know, it, it could go seven games, but they could also go back and want to wrap it up in six. And, uh, you know, but, but I have to tell you, I'm not Notre Dameus, and <laughs> anything can happen. It's, uh, this Celtic team, um, as I say, Jason Tatum is, is due for a big game, a, a good shooting game. Right. He's been a volume shooter. And Marcus Smart is pretty doggone good, and he's got a lot of confidence, and he can put the ball in the basket. And Jalen Brown uh, can break out at any time uh, as well. So the Warriors are going to have to have more scorers than Curry. Uh, they, he, he went his limit without the effort. They, they, they wouldn't have won that game without Curry having one of the spectacular games. Correct. Uh, yeah. no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but they finally won a fourth quarter. And I think that that's going to give them a lot of confidence. I agree with you. Cut down the turnovers, get off to a good start and win the fourth quarter, plain simple. Good stuff. My friend, I appreciate the time as always. We'll let you enjoy the game uh, from the chase center tonight. And we look forward to talking with you here uh, during the course of the rest of this series. Appreciate your time as always, Jim. Okay. Take care, buddy. Thank you. You got it. All right. Bye-bye. There he is, Jim Barnett. Uh, again, television analyst for the Warriors, former Warriors player himself, too. Always kind enough uh, to join us uh, during the course of the postseason and uh, specifically during these NBA Finals. Always great stuff hearing from Jim who on the scene there. Doesn't matter if it's in Boston or Golden State traveling with the team. Great stuff there. All right, when we come back, we are going to play the interview from Steve Sachs when he last joined us on Wednesday. I opened the show and talked about how uh, it was a very devastating weekend for Steve Sachs and his family as his son 
John was killed. Um, John, Captain John Sachs in the Marines uh, in just a horrifying, devastating plane crash. It was part of a training exercise that took place um, on Wednesday morning. Steve joined us on Wednesday afternoon, did not get word about his son's death until after he was done with us on the show Wednesday. So again, prayers, thoughts go out to the Sachs family. I talked about it at the top of the show. You can go back and and listen to that again. And again, any of my social media, um, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, you can go and read Steve's comments as well as as mine as well too. But uh, a very, very sad uh, time in the Sachs family. When we come back, we're going to listen to a little joyful Steve Sachs when he joins us last on Wednesday. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. That's right. Let's turn to right now the one and only two-time World Series champ, five-time All-Star, the author, the host, the producer, the engineer, the concessionaire of Sacks in the Morning, the worldwide podcast, the one and only Steve Sacks. What is up, Patna? What's up, TC? I see that you're on a Cubs kick. Uh, today. I'm on a Cubs. Yeah, a little Harry Carey. I mean, when we could do a little, yeah. little Harry Carey uh, rejoiner, don't you think that's pretty good? Oh, hi, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great. Holy <laughs> cow. Now, I know he doesn't compare. Holy cow. I know he doesn't really compare to your main man, Vin Scully, Steve. I, I know well, that. You know. Well, you know, they, they had two different sticks, right? Scully right. is very traditional, very. And Harry Carey is like, give me a, uh, you know, a fifth of bourbon or you know, a six pack of Bud, and give me a scorecard. Let me go at it. <laughs> can we can we use the word buffoon? Do you think we could actually say that, and with you know, without insulting the poor guy? No, with Harry Carey, nah, he was he just kind of shot from the hip. You know, he said one thing. Great thing about Harry Carey is he he said a lot of things that you know that people were thinking, but they really didn't think they could say. He'd say it. Right, right. Now, Steve, who so that was kind of fun. Who is better, him or Jimmy Pearsall? Oh God! <laughs> uh, you know what? I I, th- I just think that Harry Carey's a you know he's just one of a kind man. He's yeah. just he just he just he, the, he embodies so much of what people in the Midwest when they go to a game what they were thinking. He would say it. Yeah. I mean, he he would he would. I remember he denigrated Steve Stone one time um, <laughs> in, in a rain delay. And him and Steve Stone, he felt that Steve Stone wasn't ba- uh, backing him up on a on an article that was written. It's, this is like in the late uh, late seventies or early eighties, whenever they were working together at the most. And he felt that Steve Stone didn't back him up on an article. So the next day, there's a rain delay, and Harry says, "You know, he he shot down to the field. Steve was doing an interview down there with a player, and he says, hey, Steve, why don't you say it to the players?'" To his face, what you say when you're off the air? <laughs> oh, 
I mean, and the player was standing there. I mean, he just put him on the spot. So, oh, no. Uh, I kind of like that about Harry Carey. No, he's great. Now, in your trips to Chicago, have you ever gone to Harry's restaurants? Yeah. Oh, yes. Now, one of, one of my fa- one of my favorites. I love Harry Carey's. Yeah. Uh, the the steak is good. I love all the memorabilia, the ambience. What what am I, and it's quality food too. I mean, some quality steaks there. Excellent food. It was great. Um, I, I love being interviewed by him. I got interviewed by him by a couple of times, and it was fun. I mean, he was just a he was a uh, you know he was one of a kind and. But, uh, you know, today probably wouldn't be able to go out there and do that same kind of thing with the way things are today. So let me, let's, uh, let's go back here and uh, reenact it for me because you do a pretty good Harry Carey voice. Uh, Harry yeah. Carey interviewing Steve Sachs. Uh, what was one of the first questions he asked you? Uh, hey, Steve, what's it like to be 22 and single in L.A.? Holy cow. <laughs> you know, he would say he would start off something like that. <laughs> and your answer was? Uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it has its uh, good points and bad points, Mr. Carey. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Carey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that, you know. I was, I was trying to always kind of keep it, kinda, you know, kind of close to the vest. Awesome stuff there. There it is. Steve Sachs. Yeah, uh, and, that's it. Uh, hey, I did, I did, I, why don't I get the symbol class? I'll tell you why. Because you have this, on the the other side of the glass here, you've got this this Cub fanatic over here. He is just cracking up. He's just engaged in this. Anytime we start talking about about Cubs and Harry Carey, I mean, this guy grew up with him. He's got a tattoo, Steve, of Harry Carey on his his shoulder. Well, well, that's great. (laughs) That's all fine and dandy. But I'll tell you what, and you can look at your watch, Nothing really comes to the conversation we had with the quake. Yes, the that's true. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the last time. Before we mention the quake. Listen, uh, the thing about it is we have to revisit this because uh, that even made our best of episode, Steve. So when I you know, took uh, the holiday Memorial Day off, we, you know, we get our best of segments. I will let you know that yeah. that made the best of show and Quake went and listened to it again. He was so wow. excited about it, and people loved that segment. And that was the last time we've had Steve on was the Quake Love Fest, as I like to call it. Yes. Well, you know what we should do is we need to get something live from the buffet when you and me and the Quake go out and have some have some food and some drink, because we're going to do this now. Yes. But when I come to Las Vegas next time, we're going to go and, and have a – a quake fest, and of course that includes food, and we're going to go do that. At, uh, you mentioned a couple of restaurants, and we're gonna, we got to go get that. Done. Oh no! Quake didn't even to pay for it. But, but he said he is going to pay for it, so we're going to we'll take him up yeah. on that. You know, there it is. But but well, here's the key. In, of course, here's the key ingredient, my friend. It's you. You have to get here. I can't remember the last time you've been to Vegas. So let's go. I know I haven't. So what, what do you think the fear factor is? The the the, the rise in in uh, heart rate, the rise in blood pressure oh, of oh. the the owner of a restaurant of an all you can eat uh, buffet when the quake comes at the register <laughs> and says table for one. <laughs> the Richter scale, yeah. And here's the thing, Steve. Oh, God, when when imagine. when this happens, okay, with this there's going to be a first in probably Las Vegas history. I shouldn't say a first because I think this has actually happened before. But when they see the three of us walk in, they're going to put a sign up right there after you know Quake pays yeah. for all three of us. A sign will go up immediately. <laughs> it's going. 
one time through the line only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you and me and Quake go up there, you know, the six of us, they're going to say, oh, man, I can't, I can't believe this. <laughs> okay. Enough about the Quake. We love the Quake. That's it. There you go. We love the Quake. Yeah. Just like the, I loved it. Just like- I wish everybody could see the the uh, footage of the Quake hitting in the batting cage with my with my jersey on. <laughs> Taking <laughs> rips. Definitely Taking the rips in the cage. Alright. No question. And don't forget the foot the footwear too. Don't forget the footwear. The footwear was tremendous in the cage that the Quake had on. What was the footwear? Was it was it like flip flops or something? It was the, the flip flops or the Birkenstocks. It was one of those two. I yeah. yeah, those those things were rolled over like twice. <laughs> Kind of like you were quick wearing those things. Oh, oh God. Like Steve Sachs rolling over on a curveball. He got done with that. He came out of the cage, and they were about as flat as sandpaper. When, when <laughs> Steve Sachs, he's oh. here nightly, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. He's doing two sets a night. <laughs> oh, my God. Where that else? One of a, well, Quake's one of a kind. Quake's four of a kind, really. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's such a good dude. He's such a good dude. I, I don't think you have this kind of comedy on, on Sacks in the Morning. I mean, where else can you get this? Yeah. And sure, as a guest, I mean, on MLB Network Radio, I, I, you, you never had content like see, this. Did you see the guy that – did you know Quake was – when he was in a wrestling? Quake was a professional wrestler. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, that's why I named him that. Remember, I called him the Earthquake. That's well, why I gave him the name, yeah. Yeah, the guy, the guy he was wrestling one time got on top of him and pinned, tried to pin him. And he rolled, the guy rolled over twice, and he was still on the quake. (laughs) What is your major malfunction, I'm not One, two, three, four, five, six. There you go. He rolled rolled over two times, and he was still on the quake. (laughs) God, that's terrible. Anyway, how about the Dodgers, man? They They look pretty good. They're in a little bit of a... Turned down right now, but I think the the thing that kind of slaps them in the face a little bit is when Pittsburgh comes in there and sweeps them in their own park. I was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" First of all, that is the the tr- most tremendous segue I've ever heard of. Yeah, to go from- <laughs> yeah. I tried I tried to get off the quake. No, no pun intended. <laughs> Here's uh, here's what I'd rather talk to you about, Steve. I want to get back to the Dodgers, but I I got some I got a breaking news question to ask you here. Are you ready for this? All right, now this sure. in all seriousness, here we go. Because we've talked about this topic numerous times about your love for music and everything, right? Especially mm-hmm. the 70s on seven. All right. Yep. There is a debate out there, and I heard it on your mm-hmm. station, 70s on seven. Should right. Neil Sadaka be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, of course. There you go. Of course. Neil Sedaka. Does he belong in? There's not even a debate. Really? I mean, Neil Sedaka, I mean, uh, you know, he has a great fan base. Uh, It's like Barry Manilow. You you and me may not listen to Neil Sedaka. Barry Manilow may not be our first choice. But I still appreciate his music. I appreciate his talent, their talent. And as many songs as they wrote and produced and performed they absolutely their contribution to music absolutely all of them easy 
Look at that. There it is. Steve Sachs, a big Neil Sadaka fan. And, yeah, you yes. can't go wrong with Neil Sadaka. I mean, and you've given no. us some, some, some great one-hit wonders that, that you're in tune to, 70s on 7. I mean, I, I know well, when Neil Sadaka well, comes up, I mean, you, you well, pump it up loud just like this, don't you? <laughs> I can. I know the words to the song. Listen, now, TC, you have to admit to me. You yeah. may be in your car driving somewhere, and you wouldn't admit it. But when Neil Sedaka or Barry Manilow come on, like Mandy will come on, or <laughs> Walking in the Rain with Sedaka, you, you do listen to the song because you kind of like it. But you want to like tell everybody? Yeah, I, I might not roll my windows down. I actually may roll my windows up and then turn it up loud. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I come to a stoplight. But, but, but you're right. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate the the the, uh, the tenor of their you know and, and the I appreciate the professionalism and the talent. I appreciate the talent, and you can appreciate that in anybody. No, and you know me. I, we're both music guys, so we love that. But you know, it's funny that again, I rarely. I don't listen. I, I I listen to more of the groove. You know, fifty. I love the old score and B, as you know. But I do like the seventies on seven. And over the weekend, I was just listening, and it was one of those things, Steve, where I couldn't get off it. And then it was like cornball really? song after cornball song. And yeah. then and this yep. and, and then the DJ came on, and he said, he goes. Neil Sadaka, you know, what are the, uh, long live Neil Sadaka. He de- deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I just thought to myself, I go, that's interesting. He's not. I go, I got to talk to Steve about this. So there it came, yeah, no, it no, came no. from you there. Talk, you talk to the right person right now, and, and I'm telling you, um, whether you whether you like it, you know what? It's like it's like having to, to deal with a player that that wasn't your favorite player, but is he in the Hall of Fame? God, you got to respect the professionalism yeah. and the talent, yeah. of course. Yeah. So I'm good. You know, I also like on seventies and seven. Like, let me give you an example. Carly Simon. If, when the song comes on, let's say you're so vain. Oh yeah. Okay. Classic. You, you, you got you got to like that one. I mean, it may not be at the tip of everybody's list, but it's a good song. Listen to the words. Kind of reminds me of you, TC. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. For that. Now he's rolling me in with a Quaker for the insults. I like that. You flew your jet, flew your jet up to Nova Scotia to watch the solar eclipse of the sun. Then you, uh, yeah. You gotta so, like that. There it is. Here's a little Byron. We do. We play all the hits for you here. That's it. It is a sports talk yeah. show. But as you know, we play all the hits here. Steve Sachs chiming That's in. Great. Here's Carly Simon and you're so vain. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Clouds in your coffee. Every morning while you're getting ready yeah. to do sacks in the morning. You're looking at clouds in your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, can, you can filter in this song while you're listening to sacks in the morning. Yeah, there it is. Here comes yeah. a here comes a, filter. Here it comes. I like that. Here we go. Yeah. See you're yeah. bobbing your head, aren't you? Yeah. So I'll tell you one. So here's one that again, like I said, I was listening, I was driving, I and I said, okay, I'll hang with another. Oh, I'll hang with it. And then this one came on, Steve. Here, and I know you pr- probably appreciate this. America, Sister Golden Hair. I mean, yeah. I, that's classic. Yeah. And I haven't heard that in yeah. such a long time. I'm going. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, I yeah. just like. Didn't they? Didn't they do a horse with no name? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's another one. There, Ventura okay. Highway. Okay. You know, which yeah. you've been on. Hall of Fame. Easy. Easy. Yeah. 
You know? Yeah. See? There you go. Now, I don't think America oh, has as many hits as, as Neil Sedaka, or definitely not as Mary Manilow, but there you go. But these are the type of songs that just, you kind of say, yeah, and you kind of like say that it needs to be in a movie somewhere. You know, it needs to be yeah. in a scene or something. And I love those movies when they they do the throwbacks and we've got like a 70 or 80s tunes. I'm like, yeah, it makes a movie yeah. for me, man. Now, now, I like this song right here because I, I think about this. You know what I think about? A couple of things. I think about my freshman or sophomore year in high school with the feathered hair, the platform shoes, oh, yes. the Italian horn, and the silk shirt. And listen, I used to wear those Angel Flight pants. Do you remember Angel Flight? Of course. I had a, I had a, like a tan pa- uh, pair, light blue yeah. and tan. I, I used to wear Angel Flight pants. I, I, I had, the, I had the, the waistband right under my nipples. That's how high I wore those things. And and when you're walking from the front, it was disgusting. It looked like you were trying to smuggle a yo-yo. Yes, it was terrible. <laughs> Wait a minute. And, and, and did you have the multicolored belt too? I think it was a multicolored belt. I had a silk shirt that was about four inches long because I tucked it into my nipple uh, <laughs> nipple riding waistline, and it was about that. Yeah, yeah. silk shirt. That collar I had went almost all the way out to the edge of my shoulders. I can tell you, Steve, I remember what I wore to my junior prom. It was the powdered blue leisure suit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hot. Big time yeah. hot right there. Powdered I had, blue. I had taken, I had taken uh, my, my senior picture in my, my, in my tan, almost bone-colored, uh, off-white leisure suit, leisure suit yeah. with a uh, silk shirt underneath it. There it is. Can you tell us, Saxie and I are the same age, pretty much? There it is. It's classic. No no doubt. And don't forget, remember, the collar was out. Not tucked in like nowadays. No, no. The collar out. No. The collar was out. Italian born. I'm half Italian. Yep. There you Uh, go. I wonder what what the Quake's uh, leisure suit (laughs) would look like. Uh, I'm sure he probably wore one. Is there enough fabric in the world for that? (laughs) Oh. Oh, That's my God. Chuck. I don't know. Yeah. Numbchuck wasn't you know, participating. Quake told me, I, I talked to Quake last week, and he told me, he says, uh, you know, he was out at the beach. Remember he talked about being yeah. out at the beach, right? Yes, yes, He yes. says, no, I took all of it off, and I wanted to get an all-over tan. And I said, gee, Quake, you're asking an awful lot of the sun. Baseball? Is there any baseball on this show today? That's it. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I don't know. Back don't to know. your Dodgers, okay? And you know, I, I I don't know how you feel about the guy. I think you like him, but you know, I'm not crazy about your your boy Dave Roberts. I don't know if he's your boy or not, but yeah. he I like well, Dave Roberts. Okay, I know you like him. Okay, but here, Steve, here it goes again. Last night they get the Monday off day. They're in Chicago, right? And I'm looking at this game and I'm saying, wow. Now, from a betting perspective, the Dodgers were like virtually a pick 'em, which is highly unusual with that offense, right? But they had Mitch White going to the mound, and the and the White Sox had Kopech, and Kopech's been pretty good, but his last couple starts really weren't that good. I'm thinking like, hey man, this is this is a good shot here for the Dodgers. I don't like White, not crazy about Kopech, but you know maybe the Dodger offense will you know will will win this game, but only unless Dave Roberts doesn't screw it up. I don't know if you saw the game, man, but here's Mitch yeah. White. This Ham and Eggers been awful all year. He's got. He's basically throwing a sh- not basically. He was throwing five shutout innings. Only gave up two hits. And Davey says, "Okay, that's enough." 
brings in this yeah. ham hog in the sixth inning. He gets lit up like a Christmas tree. Four runs. There it is. Game over. How many yeah. times have we seen Roberts do this? I don't get Remember, yeah. he used to do well, it with Tony Gonsolin, and now he's finally let Gonsolin yep. go a little bit longer. It drives me nuts, and I can tell you betters. It drives betters nuts here because this guy just mismanages game after game in this bullpen too. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think in, in, in yeah, regards to Dave, I think he has a lot of you know a lot of confidence in his bullpen. His bullpen, even though they don't have Kenley Jansen in it, and that's not Jansen. That's not a story till the end of the game, of course. I get it, but his bullpen has usually been pretty good. Um, I think a lot of it too is you know Michael Kopech is kind of uh, one of those guys who's coming back from Tommy John surgery. It's been a long you know he's been there for a couple of years, but still not in full strength. And so he's one of those guys that ratcheted back the 100 plus. And now he's throwing, you know, 96, 95 and being very effective. And he's kind of like a one off to me, Michael Kobeck, because he can get lit up or he could go up there and throw a two, a two hitter at you. Yeah, like he did last uh, and, night. And, right? and, and that's kind of the scary thing about a guy like that. And that's what happened. So it, it's kind of a combination. That's why we're having this conversation. When a com- com- uh, combination of a lot of things happen at once. Like, the bullpen guy doesn't do well. Um, you get Michael Kopech that just goes out there and kills it. Uh, plus, the Dodgers had lost five out of seven. Now it's six out of eight. The stuff starts to pile up, and we're having a conversation about it now. But, you know, I still think they're the best team. But it, it is really hard, I can tell you, TC, it's difficult to sometimes manage a team that with so much expectation that it's sometimes harder to manage a team like that than it is to manage a team – with really not a lot of promise to it because there's not a lot of expectation. But the Dodgers are supposed to never lose now because of this team they have. And so sometimes it becomes harder to manage a team like that. So he's got his work cut out for him. You're right. I mean, they are still 35 and 20. You know, what you just said, considering they've lost six out of the last eight. But think about this, Steve. I mean, in the beginning of the season, you're talking about, well, yeah, the Dodgers probably have two all-star pitchers, no question about it. And you're thinking it's like Kershaw or, you know, somebody else of that that magnitude, you know, like when Scherzer was there. Well, yeah, they're going to have two all-star pitchers this year, too, and they're named Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson. Who would have thought? Seriously. Gonsolin, 6-0, ERA of 1.59. Teams are hitting that exact same number, 159 against him. I mean, yeah. And then tonight you got Johnny Cueto, a guy that the Dodgers have seen 11 times over the last three years. Uh, give me some thoughts, quick thoughts about Gonsolin and then a little bit about Cueto because Cueto, he won in his first two games, but, man, he now he's been bad. I, you know, No one really wanted this guy at the beginning of the season. So just talk a, a little bit about that. Well, it's not only Gonsolin, it's Tyler Anderson and what he, oh, yeah. he's been doing. He's just been – Amazing. Both guys um, do not have the, the spotlight on them. Well, they didn't. They do now. But um, they didn't. And that just shows you how unpredictable baseball is. These guys are just lighting it up. They're getting ahead of hitters. They're pitching up in the zone. They're changing the high level of hitters, which I love. And I see pitchers doing that more and more today, especially because players are hunting the bottom of the baseball, trying to go deep. So they said, you want to hunt the bottom of the ball? Good. I'll tell you what, why don't you hit this fastball about 96? right under your pel- uh, your pelvic muscle. And let me see how you get under that ball. And if you hit it, you're going to pop it up. So um, it, I just love the way that they're working that. Now, conversely, on the other side of it, Walker Bueller, to me, in his last outing especially, didn't look too good. He, his curveball is rolling up there. There's no snap on it. And I, I see 
you know, when he gets hit, it's a lot, a lot of times it's either the fastball where he's, ahead, where he's nobody's on base and he's up big, like five to nothing, he'll just groove one and hit it out. Or sometimes when there's people on base, he's trying to pull him and he hangs the curveball. I saw one in, 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 in you know, crossing two, two batters back to back. I saw him hang about five curveballs. No kidding. And, and they hit one of them out, which is, you know, usually they'll hit even more than that. Two or three of those will hit out. But he hung about five of them. And I'm like, this, this ain't going to work, man. You better fix that curveball and get it busted and at least break it to the ground and show it uh, and get him to swing at it maybe like that. But don't put that curveball hanging in the strike zone. They will outrun that ball, yeah. and they will do it time and time again. There he is. Steve Sachs said, join us talking about the Dodgers. Let's switch over to the AL real quick here. The Yankees have won seven in a row. Uh, they just they got everyone healthy now. That lineup is stacked. I mean, just kind of like the Astros. I mean, uh, the lineup is stacked there, but the Yankees are hitting better than the Astros right now. And then there's this guy, Nestor Cortez. Now, we're not going to be like yeah. your boy Jim Cott and call him Nestor the Molester because, uh, no. you know, that that's a little bit controversy. But uh, yeah. uh, Cortez going tonight, but he has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. If you look at Cortez, Steve, this guy has not given up more than two runs in any start. Uh, this guy, zero, one, three. Oh, they won I would that rather, game. I would rather call, I would rather call him Nestor the investor. Nice. Because so, in, invest in him because he's a, yeah, because uh, he's got it going on. He's a gutsy guy. He challenges him. Stuff's better than what, it, what you think it is. Um, ball gets on you pretty quick. So, yeah, I like Nestor Cortez. I, I love what he brings to the table. Southside guy, uh, love it. Yeah. And Aaron Judge is on another planet. And uh, this guy's uh, amazing. He might hit sixty home runs this year. Uh, he's the real deal. And I like, uh, you know, Aaron Judge not because of his prolific power, although I admire it. Is the guy is fundamentally one of the most sound players in the game today. When you talk about the full spectrum, being able to, you know challenge balls and base hits to come in and get them and hold runners at bases. His throwing, uh, his throwing mechanics are absolutely perfect. His ability to run good routes in the outfield is great. He can uh, sacrifice his body and go over the fence or lay out on the line drive and make the catch. He never throws to the wrong base, and he throws people out through the cutoff man. These are reasons why I like him defensively. Offensively, he's a really good, purposeful hitter. He goes the other way a lot. He lets the ball travel. If he makes a mistake, he can still hit it out of the park. I see him get jammed and hit the ball out right center field. So this guy is an amazing player. He bet on himself after the Yankees offered him that $200 million before the season started. He said, nah. Right. And he said, I'll bet on myself. Now he's going to get over $300 million if he stays healthy because he, this is a, a, an amazing year that he's having right now. Yeah, no question about it. And I, do you think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that once uh, we hit October here or, the, um, or September that we're looking at uh, Astros-Yankees for the AL crown? Well, well you know, you very, very much could. I mean, I, I love the Yankees, but I love my pal Dusty too. So I don't know who I'd vote for. I'd probably pull him for Dusty, yep. you know, because that, that's my guy. You got but, uh, you know, it's – Maybe we'll see the Yankees come full circle right now. And, you know, they've got guys pitching well there, too. That's what it all comes down to. I mean, your offense, you'll find it. Pitching's where it's at. And that's, that's what we see the Yankees doing really well there.
All right. Joe Madden relieved of his duties yesterday. I had talked about this that, you know, okay, the Angels just they haven't really gotten any better. There was that stretch earlier on in the year where people thought, well, wait a minute, it looks like they they were leading the AL West. And then all of a sudden, you know, Houston got on their long win streak and they overtook them. And now the Astros have stretched their lead over the Angels to nine and a half. Man gets uh, relieved of his duties. Now a 13. Teen game losing streak. Uh, some thoughts on Joe Madden, well, and uh, have we seen the last of Joe Madden? Do you think? Uh, I'll answer that one first. The answer is no, you haven't. Um, but all of a sudden now, Joe Madden is a terrible manager, and they got to let him go. It's all his fault, right? Wrong. It's not his fault. It right. just happens. Um, I said this for years and years and years, and I'll say it again right here on your show: is they need. Freaking pitching. Yes. Okay. How many times do we have to say it? I know. They go out. They get Lorenzen. They get they get Syndergaard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You need a number one. Yeah. I don't see the number one except Shohei Otani, and he's not pitching like that right now. I, I don't. I don't know what you what you, you got to tell them. They they need at the start of this season. They needed at least two more top flight pitchers, and they they don't didn't get either one of them. So they're going to be right where they are. They're going to finish third or fourth because they don't have any pitching. And that's where they're going to be. Um, now Joe Madden can't manage, I guess. So he's gone. And, uh, you know, now he'll be able to take his wine and uh, go wherever he is and kind of kick back for a while. He's got a pocket full of money. That's for sure. But I think we'll see him again. Do you think the firings of Joe Girardi and Joe Madden were premature? Um, well, you know, the – Owners of the team have a right to do whatever they want. What's the common denominator here, TC? No, their name's These Joe. Are old school managers. Their name is they're Joe. Old school managers. <laughs> yeah, their names are Joe, but they're old school managers. Yeah. They are getting rid of these guys. There's a few of them left. There's Dave Roberts. There's Buck Walter, Dusty Baker. Yeah. There's a few of them left, but but who knows how long? Because what they're doing now, most organizations is saying, just let us run the run the game to the front office. That is, you implement what we say, or ninety percent of it. And um, we'll pay you about a third of what we pay a real manager, and you go out there and just just do it and take take the take the arrows for us after the game, and that's it. And that, that's where we're going today. You see, two more guys got fired. They weren't young guys. No, you're right, and you hit the nail on the head, man. It's uh, because both of those jobs, you know, were open a few years back, and they were train wrecks. Uh, you know, both of these those franchises weren't getting to the postseason, couldn't get it done. They were mismanaged at the top, you know, from a salary cap structure and everything else. And uh, yeah, you're right. And, and both needed pitching. Now the Phillies have started to turn around a little bit, but I don't think it has nothing to do with Joe Girardi being fired. But it's just nope. it, it's just crazy how again the manager is going to take the fall here. But these are these are organizations that are just uh, a mess at the top. I mean, how else can we say it? Yeah, I don't know how many times uh, when I was with MLB Network. You know, we go on the Angels, and what is it? Just pitching. Say one word. That's all it's been yeah. for years. And I know uh, Perry Manassian, the new GM in there, has tried to go in and cobble something together, and it looks good at the start. But, man, you need two number ones up there. You don't have, you don't have any right now. And you're, you're just going to, be, you're going to be losing games 9 to 8, and you're going to be playing four-hour games, and it's going to suck. But that's the way it is. All right. Team uh, you're most impressed with, you know, right now? And I know the easy answer, obviously, is probably the Yankees, but any, anybody else outside yeah. of that? Well, I, the Dodgers, obviously, too. I mean, yeah. what they're doing in the National League. Yeah. Uh, 
is pretty darn amazing. I mean, these two teams uh, picked in the beginning to, you know, to be the, the front runners, and I think they're going to. I think they're going to maintain this TC. I think it's uh, it could be a, a, a wipeout with these two clubs hit, heading the, their way into the World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you concerned at all about the Dodgers? You know, from a pitching standpoint, seeing if Gonsolin Anderson no. can continue, and especially the backside of the bullpen. You know, now that you know Kimbrel was the closer, and then he's he's blown several saves this year. I, I'm I'm looking at just what has happened the last couple of weeks, Steve, with his Dodgers pen specifically. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll get that together. Um, as far as the starters go, I mean, you know, who would have guessed that you know Walker Buehler got off to a really good start? Now he's kind of not doing so much. But if you don't have one of your top guys accelerating right now, you know it's just going to be a matter of time. But you have these other guys in the four and five slots, there are three, three and four slots that are killing it. I mean, that is a godsend for your team. So you pointed that out early in the show, early in this conversation about the Dodgers, is you have these other two guys that are going to be on the all-star team. So that's just a godsend for this team. You got it. He is Steve Sachs. Pa Sachs, the podcast is fantastic. Go check it out. It is Sachs in the morning. My man, go ahead and plug away. Tell us who you got coming on. Oh, we, we got uh, six Hall of Famers that I recently interviewed at the Hall of Fame Classic at Cooperstown uh, last week. Yeah. So you got talking about Wade Boggs and Tim Raines and Ferguson Jenkins and Lee Smith and oh, on down man. the line. We got some great guys coming up on the podcast. So tune in, go get it. Spotify, Apple, wherever you do get your downloads for your podcast and get shacks in the morning. And also, how about this? Go on my Instagram and start buying some of my swag, man. I got some awesome swag. You need to go do that, TC. You need to put that out there, brother. It's some good stuff. That's great. That's good to know. Okay. The, the, and the Instagram ha- handle for, for Steve Sachs is? Or is it just, just Sacks in the morning? Uh, Sacks in, in the morning underscore podcast. Wow. Look at that. You got some yeah. swag out there. Look got at that. Swagarella shirts, mugs, hats, tumblers. Oh, my you goodness. You name it. Numbchuck is, is we going. Got hoodies. No, well, Numbchuck is looking for, for hot women on your Instagram page. That's what he's, that's what he's looking for. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, uh, we don't swag any of that. Yeah. We, uh, we just have merchandise. And, but, but, but you, I, I got to tell you, TC, you would love the hoodies oh. and the tumblers. Those are two of my favorites. The, the hoodies tumblers. and the tumblers. Sir. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. You know I'm a hoodie guy. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So there yeah. it is. Yeah, go check out uh, yeah. Saks in the Morning. That is, you know, we talk about a Cubs theme here. You got Fergie Jenkins. You got Lee Smith. I mean, that's, that's how, yeah. I mean, Fergie was my guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I patterned myself that's between right. him and Juan Marichal. That's who I patterned my pitching after, man. Those are my guys. Well, well they, they, I, I asked him to come on. I didn't have to say anything. I just used the universal language. Uh, you know, because they were Cubs, I just said, meow. And they said, okay, well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is, that is too funny. It's terrible, yeah. but it's too funny. All right, Steve Sachs, as, you, as we leave you right now, and you are going to go turn on your radio to the 70s on 7 right now, if you had to pick up that phone and make a request, what are you requesting right now? Well, if I had to do it? Let's see. Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Thank God I'm a Country Boy by John, John uh, Denver. <laughs> Where did that one come from? There you go. I just, I just thought of it, man. Thank God I'm a Country Boy. Oh, somebody like pancake something in the griddle. Like, thank God I'm a Country Boy. I remember that. Look at that. Instead, That's we're going right. to send you out with Harry Carey. There we go. Year. So let me hear you. Good. And loud, all right. This is the last time, Steve. This is the last time he ever sang it right here. Really? Yeah, the last time.
Wow. Let's see how coherent he is here. There he is. Is the Budweiser flowing? That's what I want to know. Absolutely. Maybe a couple, maybe a couple cases there. Oh. <laughs> so when we go to the buffet, uh, are you are you going to engage uh, you and the Quake in any alcoholic beverages, or are you just go go straight for the no. uh, soda or the iced tea? I'm not a drinker, yeah. so uh, I will uh, I will engage in the Coca Cola for sure. But I want to just sit back and marvel and watch the Quake. Uh, do his do his uh, his genius. I just want to watch. <laughs> there it is. We are going to have front row seats for that, my friend. We're going to have the VIP yeah. seats right behind the screen, and we may need a screen. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. We'll sit right behind the quake. Nobody will even know we're there. All right, brother. Appreciate it as always, man. Appreciate you. You bet. Take care. You, there he is. He is Steve Sachs. Not only the two-time World Series champ, the five-time All-Star, but quite the comedian as well, too. That was Steve Sachs last Wednesday on the show. And that was actually before he found out that his son John was killed in that Marine exercise. Again, we decided to play that for you today as we talk about Steve. Our thoughts and prayers go with him and his family. And just, again, the joy and the fun in him that he always provides with us. And again, being a longtime close friend, very devastating the news that we got with this on Saturday. Steve released a statement. It reads as follows, and this came out on Saturday morning. It is with complete devastation that I announce that my precious son Johnny was one of the five U.S. Marines that perished on Wednesday, June the 8th, at the Osprey military crash near San Diego. For those of you that knew Johnny, you saw his huge smile, his bright light, his love for his family, the Marines, the joy of flying airplanes and defending our country. He was my hero and was the best man I know, and there was no better person to defend our country. Johnny Sachs knew he wanted to be a pilot since his young years and would tell his dad what types of planes were flying overhead while playing Little League Baseball in the outfield. There was never any doubt from a young age that Johnny would be a pilot and his passion was to fly. I am so proud of the man he became and so proud to call him my son. This loss will change my life forever and is a loss to not only the Marines, but this world. Those are the words of Steve Sachs on Saturday. Devastating. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the Sachs family. And Steve Sachs will join us sometime down the road. We're respecting his privacy. And again, thoughts and prayers to my friend Steve Sachs and his entire family. And may Johnny rest in peace.